Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, The Three R's. Today we're going to get into our first portion of FAQs. We're going to look at four different questions and look at some scripture to apply to each one. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to the three R's. Really good to see you. And one of these Sundays, we're going to have normal weather, and we're not going to know what to do with that. So it's great to see you, and really thankful that you're here today. Wanted to pause before we continue in our series and just give you a real home update. And our whole real home process is about relocating from meeting in here to our Bethel Road location. And we've been walking through a process of doing that, and I have some information to share with you about something that has happened. As you may know, our biggest need in this whole process has been a need for water and sewer to meet us on that location. We don't have public water and sewer lines at the Bethel Road property, so we have been praying for that, and we have been trying to find a solution. There was a potential development not too far from the Bethel Road property within proximity that would have potentially brought water and sewer lines to us. It would have involved infrastructure improvements for a bigger area, and we fell within the boundaries of that. So we were kind of excited about that, but that development is not moving forward. So while that is disappointing for us, the good news is that the engineering studies for water and sewer for Uh, Our church for Valley Point are continuing, and they have been going on, and they are working hard to find a solution and a new path for us. So, continue to pray for water and sewer, and I've been asking for you to do that for some time. I want to ring that bell again, because that is vitally important, and God knows that we need that, and it's going to be fun to see how all of that comes together. So kind of disappointing news, but the good news in all of this is that engineering studies continue for finding a new path and a new direction for Valley Point Church. So again, want to ask you to just join me in praying for that, okay? Let's actually pause and do that right now, can we? Father, we come before you on this Sunday and grateful for just an opportunity to Think about what you want to say to each and every one of us, and I pray that as we walk through our series now, that you would open our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you want to say to each and every one of us. Help our minds to be awake and our hearts to be sensitive to what you want to say to each and every one of us. God, for over a year now, we have been consistently and faithfully praying for something that we need as a church for our future real home. And that is water and sewer. And it seems like kind of a funny thing to pray for and ask for, but we know that nothing is too small for you, and this is a real need that we have in order to move forward with what we believe you want for us, and that is a permanent home on our Bethel Road property. And so, God, I just pray that you would continue to go before us. Uh, We just sang about that. And we joyfully announce that, and we're asking for that again, that you would go before us and that you would work in the minds of those who are working on this and developing this, that a solution would be found sooner than later so that we can continue to move forward with the plans that we have for that piece of property and our future real home. 
God, we know that nothing is too big or too small for you. And so we place this at your feet once again, and we humbly ask that you work and that you do something. For those who are working on these engineering studies, God, I pray that something would just make sense and that it would be good for us and maybe good for a lot of other people in that area as well. And again, that we would be able to move forward. So we give that to you once again, mindful of the fact that we don't have all the answers and we're having a hard time figuring this out. God, I think that's actually a good place to be. So we get humble again and ask for you to work in this way. And we look forward to seeing what you do in and through this situation. And again, we ask for your blessings on our experience today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in week number four of the real part of the three R's. And we're going to have fun over these next couple of weeks because I'm going to do my very best to attempt to answer the frequently asked questions that many of you submitted a couple of weeks ago. And this is always kind of a fun thing that we do. I sit in the hot seat and do my best to answer really some tough questions. And this is just going to be a free-flowing conversation. So I'm glad that you're here and that we get to experience this together. Whenever we roll out FAQs, I always give a couple of disclaimers. So here's disclaimer number one, and that is I won't be answering every question that was submitted. So we had a ton of questions that came in a few weeks ago, and I'm going to answer four questions today, and I'm going to answer four or five tomorrow, or next Sunday as well, but I'm not going to be able to answer all of them. But here's what I'm going to do that's different than when we have walked through frequently asked questions before, and that is I'm actually going to take all of the questions that were submitted, and I'm going to type them all out, and I'm going to give a sentence or two response to every single question or maybe even a paragraph or two, if it kind of requires that. And then I'm going to print that, and we're going to have it at Just For You, and that'll be available either next Sunday or maybe the Sunday after that. You might might have to give me a little bit of time to work on this. So I wanted to do that so that if your specific question doesn't get answered from the stage, that you have the opportunity to pick up that sheet and you can read and discover what my response to that might be. So again, that'll be available either next week or the week after. But that's disclaimer number one. I I can't answer every single question. Here's disclaimer number two. And that is my responses are based on Scripture as much as possible. And the reason I say that is because I believe the Bible has answers and solutions for everything that we experience in life. Now, those answers and those solutions aren't necessarily easy to find. But if we dig and search and read and study and put in the time, I believe we can find biblical answers to everything that we experience in life. Often, we just don't want to put in the time. And so then we go or we answer something based on our opinion or the opinions of others. And I think that can be kind of a dangerous thing. So my responses, as much as possible, are going to be based on Scripture. And you're going to hear me read several different pieces of scripture. We're not going to be in one paragraph today. We're going to bounce around and cover some different things, but my responses will be based on scripture. I don't think you want to hear my opinion on stuff. I really don't think you want to hear that. So I want to stand on the authority of the word of God. And as I respond to these different questions, I will attempt to do that and share scripture with you. So if you're here for the very first time at Valley Point, welcome. 
really glad that you're here and hope that today is a meaningful experience for you. You're going to get a taste of what we believe and how we respond to different things, and I think this will be just a meaningful day for you. All right, are we ready for question number one? This is always an easy one, just to get everybody to relax and to breathe. So, but this was actually asked, and so again, I'm going to attempt to answer this. Here's the first question. Do you pick out your outfits, or does Tanya, my wife? Well, I am proud to say that I actually pick out all of my own outfits. I really do. Now, I don't know if the person asking this question is asking because they sense that Tanya should do that. I don't know, but I really am proud to say that I pick out all of my own outfits. Now, I want to let you know, in my family, I have a brother who is a little bit younger than I am, and he's kind of the fashion icon in our family, but he's a bit out there and a bit crazy. And just so you know, you know that I will not show up at church this way. My brother, he's a pastor outside of Chicago, but he occasionally could show up as Glenn Hurricane Schwartz. Uh, I probably won't do that. If he doesn't do that, he could be a boat captain. If Joshua doesn't do that, he might show up as Johnny Depp. Yeah, and that's my brother Joshua. He's just out there and kind of crazy. With me, here's what you get. A very simple color palette all of the time. Not too crazy, and I do pick out all of my own outfits. Now, here's the scripture that I attach to that. I told you, my answers are based on scripture, right? I'm not kidding. So this is like my favorite piece of scripture. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 8. It says, wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Isn't that great? See, this is why I encourage you to read your Bible because occasionally you come across these verses that are just kind of crazy and funny. So maybe this should be your life verse or maybe it'll be mine next year. I'm not sure. But wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. All right, that's the easy question for today. Everybody feeling good? Take a deep breath. All right, here we go. FAQ number two. Let's get down to business. Why does it seem that wicked and evil people who don't love God prosper. They lie, cheat, steal, get away with it. I struggle, and God allows it. Well, the short answer to that is that the ungodly have and will benefit from the goodness of God. Uh, They just will, and they do. That doesn't always make sense, and we might not be able to understand God in that process, But those who are ungodly and don't care about him at all or live their lives to please him will experience from the general goodness of God. The rain falls on the godly and the ungodly. The sun shines on the godly and the ungodly. So we might not be able to understand that, but the ungodly can and will experience the goodness of God. One of the things that we love about God, especially when it's working for us, is that God is patient and kind and loving. We say these things about God, don't we? Oh, God is so patient with me, and he is loving and kind even when I don't deserve it. Well, that is also true for those who are ungodly or don't care about God at all in their lives. They benefit from the patience, the kindness, and the love of God. But I think in responding to this and in thinking about this question, you have to have a long view of life. You have to have eternity in view. 
Because what they experience in terms of the goodness of God is right here and it's right now. But there is a limit to that, especially if they don't respond to the forgiveness and the leadership that God offers. If they never trust in Jesus alone, the goodness that they experience from God is short-term. It's in the here and now. So for those of us who have responded to the goodness of God and have embraced the leadership that Jesus offers, we have to have a long view of eternity. And yeah, that doesn't make sense now, but I have trusted in God. My eternal reward is a home in heaven. I have to have this long view of God, even when I look around and it just doesn't make sense. Why does that person prosper? I mean, they're doing all kinds of evil things and it doesn't seem like anything bad is happening to them. And here I'm trying to live the way God wants me to live in my imperfect ways and God doesn't seem to be doing anything good for me. We have to have a long view of life, an eternal view. This question is interesting because there is a writer in Scripture by the name of Asaph. He wrote Psalm 73, and he struggled with this very question, this very observation. I look out, and I see people who don't care about God, and they have good things happening to them, and I struggle. And so what I want to do is I actually want to read from Psalm 73, and it's kind of a lengthy section But I want scripture to speak for itself. And again, one of the great things about the Bible is we have historical events and historical facts, but we also get the feelings and the observations of people as they walk through different things. And in Psalm 73, we have Asaph, the writer, sharing his feelings with us about this very question. And so let's just read through this. You follow along. Psalm 73, here's verse 2. It says, But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were actually slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper, despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff. Speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. Verse 16. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God. And that's a very interesting statement because the psalmist here begins to find clarity where? In the sanctuary. In church, church is kind of a big deal. And I don't say that just because I'm the pastor, but it's here in environments where we get the chance to step into God's sanctuary. And he says, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those are really powerful words right there. Verse 28. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. So I think there are two steps that we can take when we're sensing 
And when we're questioning, why do evil people succeed? And here I'm trying to honor God and I struggle. Two steps. Number one, be near God. Step into his sanctuary. Be at church and be around other people who can encourage that in your life. Be near God. And here at Valley Point, we work really hard to create environments where we can experience the goodness of God. So be near God. And then secondly, talk about God. That's what we find in Psalm 73. He's actually telling other people about the goodness of God in his life. And when we are doubting that and when we question that, I think one of the best things we can do is in that moment of doubt and frailty, actually talk to other people about what God has done for us. That's sharing our story in a verbal way. And even if we sense we don't have anything good to say about God, if we have trusted in him alone to save us, if he has justified us, if he has declared us righteous, even though we don't deserve it and we can never pay for that, we could never earn that, well, that is an amazing thing to share about the goodness of God on my behalf, even when it doesn't feel that good. If I've been justified, if I've been declared righteous, if I've benefited from the patience, the kindness, and the goodness of God, then I need to talk about that and share that with other people. So, when we look out, And we see ungodly people succeed. We've got to remember, they will benefit from the goodness of God in their life as well. And that might not make sense, and we may not understand that, but it's going to happen. We have to have this long view of life, this long view of eternity. And let's look to paragraphs like Psalm 73, where we find other godly people asking the same questions. And then let's just get really close to God and then talk about God and what he's done for us to other people. Make sense? All right. FAQ number three. Why are there no female elders? And why would God say women cannot be pastors or part of the decision-making body of the church? I struggle with this concept. I want to let you know I struggle with this concept as well. It's a challenging thing. But I do believe we can find answers in Scripture, and so that's where we're going to look. It's true. Here at Valley Point, we do have a male lead pastor. That's me. And we do have male elders. That's our best understanding of Scripture. And specifically, Scripture like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And I'm not going to take time to read through those paragraphs. I would encourage you to do that. And those specific verses are listed in your program so you can find them. What you'll discover in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 is that there is a laundry list of qualifications for elders in the church. And it is a daunting list. And our best understanding of Scripture is that the office of elder is reserved for godly qualified men. And I know from working with our elders, and I spend a lot of time with them, and we get to chat all of the time. I know from working with our elder team that they take this responsibility very seriously and in an incredibly humble way. That's how they approach that. There is no better than attitude from that group. There is no chauvinism from that group. That would be offensive to me personally, and I would not allow that as the lead pastor here. But that's our best understanding of Scripture. Now, I know that that's not necessarily popular, but 
we desire to stand on the authority of the word of God. And that is our greatest desire in trying to honor that. Now, having said that, women are absolutely and enthusiastically encouraged and are asked to lead here. And Valley Point could not and would not function without the wise and helpful leadership that comes from women right here. And I'm not just saying that to make anybody here feel better about this question. That is from my heart, and that is very sincere. And this is something that is close to my heart, actually. I've been a pastor in four different churches now, and I have been one to lead out in this area of equipping and asking and empowering women to lead in different ways. And I have done that because I believe it's biblical, and I have done that because I have personally benefited from the strong leadership that women have provided for me in my own life and the wonderful shepherding that they have done for me. And I know that if we're going to continue to grow and be effective as a church, that we're going to need more women and men and students and kids rising into leadership positions. But back to the question. Why would God say women cannot be pastors or part of the decision-making body? Well, I actually believe that God says that's not necessarily the case, that women can't do these things. And here at Valley Point, women do both. They pastor, and they lead, and they make decisions. So let me explain what I mean by that. The word pastor in the Greek is the word poimen. And the word poimen actually means to shepherd. And that's where we get the concept of what a pastor does. It is an individual who shepherds the lives of other people. Another word that is closely connected to poimen is a word that means to feed the flock. And so the picture you get of an individual who is a pastor is that it is an individual who shepherds, and there's all kinds of imagery in Scripture about what a shepherd is and what a shepherd does. And so you've got this picture of a pastor and one who fulfills this responsibility as one who shepherds, as one who feeds the flock. That's what a pastor is. That's the idea of poimene, to shepherd, to feed the flock. And sometimes that pastoring, that shepherding, that feeding of the flock occurs in formal settings like this, where individuals like myself stand up and open up the word of God and say, all right, I want to feed the flock with this information. That also happens in formal settings like this, where we have an individual like our guest speaker, Bethany Cook, who has been here a couple of different times, and she preaches, and she teaches. She shepherds, she feeds the flock. My wife, Tanya, has also done that at times. And when she opens up the Word of God, she shepherds, she feeds the flock, she pastors. That's the idea of the word poimen. Now, that happens here in formal settings. It also happens in other group settings. Within our children's ministry and within our student ministry, we have women who pastor, who shepherd, who feed the flock. And we place a high priority on our children's ministry and on our student ministry. These aren't just babysitting hours. We really believe this is essential for our kids, that they understand from the youngest age possible 
that there is a creator and a God who has a specific purpose for their lives. And we want great people shepherding and pastoring and feeding the flock that we would call our children and our students as well. And women fill that role, and they do a tremendous job. In terms of decision-making, men don't make all of the decisions around here. They just don't. I don't make all of the decisions around here. We're just way too big for that anymore. And we have qualified, godly women who fill key roles, and they make decisions that impact hundreds of people within our church and thousands of people outside of our church. Just practically speaking, our assimilation system is completely led by a woman. Her name is Jean White, and Jean does a fantastic job of making sure that our assimilation system is what it should be. And our assimilation system here at Valley Point is very important to us. Jean actually led a staff training meeting about two months ago where she shared with our staff that the experts will tell us that a person coming to a church, if they're checking it out, trying to figure out if this is where they want to be at home, if this is where they want to unpack their bags, they normally make that decision about a second visit or a third or a fourth visit within their first 10 or 15 minutes within the building. And that was really telling information for us because before anybody really hears a note of music or before anybody hears anything from me or whoever may be teaching, they have most likely already made the decision about whether they're coming back based on how they have been greeted, treated, and seated. Our assimilation process is vitally important to our growth as a church. And again, that's led by Jean White, and she makes decisions there that impacts hundreds of people within our church and certainly people outside of our church. And that's a big deal to us because we want to open the doors and we want to welcome everybody. We really want to do that. And the flavor of that is really on her. And she does a wonderful job with that, and I want to thank her publicly for her leadership in that area. Our local outreach system is led by two women, Nancy Gifford and Rachel Teal. We just had a love day yesterday where we choose different organizations within the communities around us, and we send people, and we go serve and love for a couple of hours. We had a great time yesterday at two different places in Chester, at a homeless shelter here in Wawa, and then other people were just delivering bags of goodness to put a smile on the face of people. Rachel and Nancy are the ones who assimilate and figure out what we're supposed to be doing on those days. And they also choose what and who we're collecting for. So whenever we have one of our collection Sundays and we bring in food or shoes or whatever it is that we might be collecting, they're the ones who decide that. And they're doing a wonderful job of leading out in this area and helping our church not just gather and meet right here, but actually go out into the community and to serve others. I will say to you that our assimilation process and our evangelism process, that system, are probably the two strongest systems that we have in our entire church. We have a worship system and a leadership system and a few other things that we do as well. 
But that assimilation system and our outreach system are probably the two greatest things that we do, and they are completely led by women, and they make all of the choices that happens within those systems, and they're doing a wonderful job. I speak approximately 44 to 46 times a year. That's a lot of writing, and I I manuscript when I write. And that's enough to fill every year a novel of about 325 pages. So I'm I'm not an author, but I I suppose if I packaged it the right way, I could be, and I do that much writing every year. But I actually don't do all of that writing. I have a couple of individuals that do theological research for me, and I give assignments to them when I'm stumped or I can't figure it out or I just need a different perspective or a different view on what might be happening in a particular passage, I ask other people to help me with that. And, and they research and they give me information, then I share that with you. And that impacts, hopefully, all of us in a positive way. The two people that do my theological research for me are women. My wife, Tanya Kohler, who has a theological background. I often tell people we have the same degree, but she got better grades than I did. So she's actually more qualified for this from an academic standpoint than I am. And I really depend on her expertise and her theological mind to help me walk through different paragraphs of Scripture. And she does a great job with that. The other person who helps me write is Sherry Kelly. And she loves to research. And she has a great theological mind. And I depend on her research. If you were here last week, you probably heard me talk about Pan. You remember Pan? kind of half goat, half man floating around with a flute, doing vindictive, mischievous things, right? Some of you probably thought I was really a smart guy and I came, with all, you know, came up with all that. Not the case. That was research given to me by Sherry Kelly. And she put all of that together and it added great texture to Matthew chapter 16 as we talked about Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, standing on the rock of an awful place where people gave their devotion and their love to Pan. And who is Pan? And what did he represent? And why was it so significant that Jesus said, in this place, I will build my church? That was all research given to me by Sherry. And I depend on what they give to me. And that impacts all of us in different ways. So from my heart, I want to continue to find ways to give voice to and leadership to women. And again, this is an important area for me. This is close to my heart because I've personally benefited from the strong leadership and shepherding of women in the past in the church. And so I want to continue to find voice. Ladies, we need your contributions. We need your wisdom. We need your leadership. And I look forward to finding more ways and better ways and new ways to lean into the gifts that God has given to all of you. Okay? Question number four. Let's end with something really positive. And that is, how does God view war? Right? This sounds like a great thing to talk about, doesn't it? So let me read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8. This is part of the verse, but it says, There is a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for war and a time for peace. And I think from that verse, you can actually gather God's philosophy and God's thinking about war. There is a time for peace but there is also a time for war. This question is very interesting to me. And when you begin to research and when you begin to dig, you find out some very interesting things about war in Scripture. Like in the Old Testament, the word war or battle is mentioned over 350 times. 
And what you discover in the Old Testament is that you even find God himself directing war. And this can be a bit troubling. This can be a bit disheartening when you think about God directing war. And many people think that God is portrayed in the Old Testament as a cruel and ruthless deity that indiscriminately orders the death of innocent men, women, and children. And the God we find in the Old Testament, this vindictive God who orders war, is not quite the same God that we see pictured in the New Testament as a loving Heavenly Father. And if that's what God is really like, then he should not be worshipped or venerated. So this is kind of a troubling thing. But when you compare what you discover in the Old Testament with what you read and what you discover in the New Testament, you find that there is a balance in the character of God. We've already talked about how God is patient and loving and kind. And there is verse after verse, book after book, story after story that talks about the patience that God has with all of us, those who love him and those who even hate him. God is patient and loving and kind. But there's also something else we discover about God, and that is he is holy and he is just. So God is patient and loving and kind, but you balance that with the fact that he is holy and he is just, and there is a price that is to be paid for sin and walking away from God's best. So with that balance in mind, a God who is patient and loving and kind with a God who is holy and just, I want to share two principles that I think we can apply to war. Number one, we don't have to like war or even desire it because it really is a terrible thing. And however you feel about war, and different people feel different ways about that, however you feel about war, I think we can all agree it really is a terrible thing. And so we don't have to like it or even desire it. I don't think that's the story here. But, and here's principle number two, in a world filled with sin and evil people, sometimes war is necessary to prevent even greater evil. And sometimes it's just necessary. And in a fallen world, which is what we live in, post-Adam and Eve, and their choice to sin against God, we live in a fallen world. It is not getting better. It is not improving. We live in a fallen world, and sometimes war is inevitable. And this is actually what we find in Luke chapter 21. These are the words of Jesus. He's speaking here. And he says this, When you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first. But the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And boy, we're seeing that happen, aren't we? Like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 is actually happening, and you can talk about this and point to it all day long. Kingdom going to war against kingdom, and nation going to war against nation. And this just emphasizes that in a fallen, sinful world, which is what we live in, war will happen, and war is inevitable. And war can be used to stop even greater evil. And we have seen that throughout the history of the world. So there's probably nothing as inspiring as ending a talk talking about war, right? Really inspiring. So here's what I want to do. I kind of want to wrap up our time by just reading something to you that is unrelated to all of our FAQs this morning. 
But I think it's a very powerful paragraph of Scripture. And I want you to walk out with a sense that God is interested in us and God cares about us. So I want you just to take in these words right now. You're not going to find them on the screen. Some of you will recognize where this is coming from. If you don't, that's okay. I want you to enjoy these words and just let them fall on you for a moment, okay? Here's what a writer in Scripture says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. That's incredible, isn't it? To think that if I've trusted in Jesus alone, I have the shepherd. We've talked about that a little bit. And in him... I have all that I need. I might not have what I want, but I have all that I need. What a promise. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. These are the words of the Lord, and may they encourage you this morning. Father, we come before you and we're just so thankful for a little bit of time today to look at various pieces of scripture. We've been all over the place this morning thinking about what you have to say about different questions. God, I'm really thankful for these different questions that have been submitted and given this morning. And I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to really think about how the Bible has answers. It has solutions. God, I pray that you'd help us to dig and search and do the hard work of looking for those answers. Sometimes we give up way too easily, and we just depend on the opinion of others. God, opinions can be important and valuable, but actually we want to stand on the authority of something that is beyond an opinion. And I believe that authority can be found in the Word of God, what you have breathed out and given to us. So God, I pray that as we walk out of here and consider the answers to these questions, help us to review and to go back and to look at these different pieces of Scripture, these different verses, and that you would use this in our life to give us a strong sense that you can guide us through everything that we face. God, give us a great day. Thank you so much for Valley Point Church and for what we have experienced this past week with several individuals being in the Dominican Republic and and returning. Pray that you'd bless them and help them not to forget what they saw and what they observed and how their hearts were moved. God, many people yesterday were right here in the communities that surround Valley Point serving and loving without expecting anything in return. And we got to partner with some amazing organizations that have great need. And I pray that you'd help all of them to not forget what they saw and what they heard and how you tugged on their hearts. God, help us to be sensitive to what you want for us. And God, may you continue to use Valley Point to point people to real relationships that inspires real significance. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. 
We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.